meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything, sorry, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Welcome to Sunday morning, my friends. <laughs> uh, welcome to the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, um, which is said to be the only book in the Bible that was written on a Monday. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really profound book, and it's one that passed me by for many years, frustrated because it's terrible. <laughs> um, uh, it's a book that is asking us to, it wants us to ask, who or what are we striving for? What is it that really lasts? And what is the purpose of life? So, no big deal, really. Um, so, today I want to introduce you to a Hebrew word. I want to talk about the pursuit of happiness. And then I want to introduce you to what Jesus tells us to do with our pursuit of happiness. Um, so I think a while ago, you know, many people, probably not these types of people, would say that actually it was the role of religion that would, or that used to promise us happiness and say, if you do this, then this will happen to you and you'll go to heaven, everything will be fine. Um, but actually, I think it's our society that's doing that for us today. Everywhere we go, everywhere we look, there's messages that are saying, if you do this, if you just uh, look a certain way, then you'll be happy. If you just get that certain job, then you'll be happy. If you just get that certain house, or that certain achieve this certain amount of success, or, or money, or fame. And it's like underneath all of the messages in our society, what's really being you know, said is, you can be happy if, insert here. And it's like, I see this everywhere. As someone who sort of helps come up with advertising and that sort of thing sometimes, I, I can see the underlying message is actually, you can be happy if. And it's so all-encompassing and so like everywhere surrounding us. Sometimes we don't stop to really ask ourselves, oh, wh what am I striving for? What, what am I trying to achieve? And we might never actually notice that we're ultimately working under the assumption that we believe life is about trying to be happy. And if we're not careful, everything can be, everything in our lives can be sort of driven by this desire to be happy, including the way we approach God. So we might turn up on a Sunday morning saying, God, make me happy. If you don't make me happy, see you later. Or if you don't make me happy, clearly you're not, you're not involved and something's going wrong. Um, well, the writer of Ecclesiastes has a very different idea. And uh, this gives you a little taste. Um, so let's take a look. You know, it starts with meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Now, you might have ditched this book in the past, like me, because you, <laughs> you heard this stuff and you thought, oh, he's had a bad day. I think I need something a bit more cheery. Um, well, I, I, someone, someone showed me this, uh, this sort of key that really unlocked this book for me, and it's the word, um, it's this word, this Hebrew word. So this, let me, let me hear you say it. This is Havel. Havel. 
So that has a B, but actually I think it's said like a V. So it's Havel. Um, and so this word meaningless that comes up throughout the book, uh, for some of you it will be translated as vanity. But actually, I think if we translate it this way throughout the whole book, we miss the real depth of what's being said. And actually, what is being communicated is uh, it's a picture word, really. And the word is this. See if you can see what I'm saying. Sorry, we can't see this, Dan. <laughs> I thought it was coming up here. <laughs> so the word means vapor. So what is vapor? Vapor is fading the moment it begins. It's, it's temporary. It's, it's like smoke. It's like, uh, it means vapor or breath. So you can imagine your breath on a cold day is, is sort of going out in front of you. And it's, it's both sort of beautiful and enticing. But the more you try and grab it, the more it disappears. And the more you try and sort of contain it, it seems to disappear and be gone. So the word means vapor. And he's saying, vaporous, vaporous. Everything is vaporous. A chasing after the wind. So maybe some of you already know what's being said and you already think, yeah, I know what he's talking about. Yeah, life can feel like this chase after something that I just can't grab. It just feels like it, it sli- everything seems to slip through the fingers the moment I try and keep it for myself. It's so fading and temporary. So the book of Ecclesiastes is a, is a talk. It's like an ancient uh, Jewish TED talk, if anyone knows what they are. You know, it's like this uh, guy who's, who's, we're pretty sure it's King Solomon, He's gathered everyone together, and he's saying, listen, this is how it really is. Uh, And he was supposed to be, he's known as the wisest man who ever lived. And also, at the time, was the richest man alive. So he had a lot of clout. (laughs) When he started talking, people were listening. What has he learned through his life? And he's saying, come, everyone, come get together. I'm going to tell you how it really is. So I'm just going to read you. Um, quite a long passage, but I'll read it as fast as I can because it's interesting. (laughs) Uh, But it gives you a real flavor of what the whole book is like. So so I'm reading from Ecclesiastes 1, uh, verse 12 onwards. So, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Notice he's saying under the sun. That's the theme that comes up. It's like, what is on earth? I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too was a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I thought in my heart, 
Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. He's really searching here, but that also proves to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine. He means literally like lifting himself up with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flower, uh, flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. So he's looking to prestige and get all the things he can. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone else in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. So he's talking about getting sex here. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes, desired, my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That gives you a taste of what, it, what this book is like. It's a bit of a downer, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's quite heavy. But I think it's so profound. I, th- I think there's something in there that resonates deeply with what it means to be human. Now, I think there's loads of things going on in this book, but one, one theme that I wanted to pick out is um, that this book... And what the teacher is bringing to us is a warning against the pursuit of happiness. Um, You see, this this whole book is about a man who had all the wealth in the world and all the resources you can imagine, which allowed him to seek out whatever he desired and find out what was worthwhile to pursue. And his conclusions are really humbling. He says that when we try and grab the significance of life, it seems to leave us lifeless. And trying to grab at happiness leaves us without it. And it seems like he's saying the more we, the more we pursue it, the more we chase after it, the more it slips through our fingers. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That sort of feeling of it's just, oh, it just fades away from you. You can't grab hold of it. And now what I think he's saying is we do need, we do need the freedom to pursue what makes us happy. Some people don't have that, and that's something that we all need, like if we, if we live in some dictatorship or something. But we also need a second freedom, and we need a freedom from the pursuit of happiness. You see, if our goal is to be happy, then our lives become held hostage to our circumstances, because when, when we're happy, it's something that's happening to us. It's not like something that we've made happen. Um, and... When we're, when we're basing our lives, when we're basing the, the purpose of our lives on being happy, then something goes wrong for us, it doesn't go our way, which it inevitably does, <laughs> it has to, then we can't admit it because 
it makes it really hard to admit that things aren't going our way because if we admit that we're disappointed, it also means that we're kind of failing at life because we said to ourselves, the purpose of life is to be happy, but I'm kind of feeling a bit disappointed that Sandra didn't turn up to the dinner that I prepared. <laughs> Just a random example, it's never happened to me. Um, and it makes us like these people who have to be all about control. We have to control our lives in order for them, us to be happy. And we can't be in control of everything, and we're not. That's not the world we live in. You know, we, it's so normal to want to avoid sadness. We all do it. And it's okay to do that. It's sort of sensible. But one thing I've noticed in my own life is that one of the worst things about feeling depressed and going through some sort of mourning or letting go is actually the, the feeling that I shouldn't be depressed or mourning or sad. There's this feeling of, um, I'm feeling sad. Oh gosh, I don't want to spend time with anyone because I'll be right burdened, you know? Oh, I mustn't be sad around other people because then I'll be a real downer. No one will want to hang out with me. And um, it's, it's kind of unsuccessful to be unhappy is, is one way to put it. Um, even though actually the feeling of being depressed or mourning is a perfectly appropriate response to our lives very often. And actually that feeling of being sad is sometimes... Uh, telling us something about uh, what we're going through and it's supposed to be happening. But if, if we're pursuing, if our life is all about pursuing only happiness and that is the ultimate goal, then we can't admit it. We can't, we can't accept or listen to what our lives are telling us when we're feeling sad. But of course, we all know that sadness is appropriate. You know, if someone... If someone passes away, it's the sign of love that you're sad. And you should love. <laughs> so there's that first thing, you know, there's that setting ourselves up where the pursuit of happiness is the ultimate goal of life. But there's an, another thing going on here, and I think some of you will, will be hearing what so King Solomon um, in this book is saying, and you're going, yeah. I'm there. I'm, I'm on that pursuit, and I already know that these things that I'm pursuing are not working. They're already making me kind of feel empty and sad. Um, but where else do I go? And King Solomon, he, sum summons th he s sums this up with a sad, very sad story. He says, There was a man, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. And yet, his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling? Toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless and miserable business. God, that's a bummer, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I think that sums up so beautifully this feeling that we can sometimes have when we're searching for meaning in life and 
We might, we might know that we're supposed to turn to God, but we're saying, it's just not working. Somehow life is slipping through my fingers. And there's a, a great line in a song by a band called Bright Eyes which sums this up. It says, my mind races with all my longings, but can't keep up with what I've got. It's like this endless pursuit. Just can't seem to stop this treadmill of searching for happiness. So if this is us and we're feeling this way, what are we supposed to do? Um, Ecclesiastes is, is saying to us, we need to somehow become acquainted with our everyday sadness. Um, the things that disappoint us we need to be able to accept and somehow uh, allow in our lives. And it's saying somehow sadness is a necessary part of having a full life. That a full life is not going to be all, all smiles. And it, it's almost like uh, only ever eating sweets. <laughs> it's not going to give you a full diet or healthy love of food. Um, so there's this one refrain that keeps coming up through throughout Ecclesiastes. And I think it's King Solomon's way of saying, this is what I think we should do. So in Ecclesiastes 5, uh, sort of 11, he says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet. Actually, I think I've got it on here somewhere. Uh, yeah, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. So I think he's saying that all, all our attempts to make ourselves happy leave us dissatisfied. But if we, if we look to God, we can begin to enjoy the vapor of life. Somehow, even as it's passing by us, we can appreciate it and not feel like we have to hold on to it and make it our own. We can allow God's gifts to pass freely through our lives without being scared that he's not going to give us another. Yeah. So at this point, I was thinking, how do we... There's so much in Ecclesiastes which is full of questions that made me think, how do I explain all this? Or like give people an introduction. And so, of course, I went to the teaching of Jesus and it solved everything. <laughs> so um, what does Jesus teach us about this? And uh, Jesus says this. So I've chopped this down and actually Jesus says a lot of stuff either side of this in Sermon on the Mount, which is just as relevant. He says, see how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. So I want to pick out 
three things that Jesus is teaching us in this. And see, there isn't only three things here, but these are the things that I think relate really well to this Ecclesiastes-type wisdom. And I think it's really uh, one thing important to note is that Jesus is probably very purposefully mentioning Solomon here because Solomon would have been connected to this work of Ecclesiastes. Everyone would have thought Solomon, Ecclesiastes, maybe this is his summary of what Ecclesiastes means and what we should do with it. Um, And so what are the three things? So the first is to stop and look around you. So I I don't think it's um, a small thing that Jesus is is going, so you're on this, on, this, on this treadmill of going through life full of worry and searching for happiness and searching for purpose. And the first thing he says is, consider the lilies. And it's almost offensive that he's, he, he's, he thinks we can solve our problems with something so small and insignificant. And he's saying, just stop worrying for a moment and look what is around you. And that in itself, like we could skip over, but that in itself is hard enough to do when we're on this like just constant running and running and running, trying to um, fix that next problem or um, sort this problem in our heart. So he's saying, stop and look around you. And yeah, I think he's saying, really look, really begin to look around you. What What has God put in your life? Examine the little things. So the second thing is, I want to look at the flower's purpose. So we've been talking about what is, the, what is the purpose of life. And if we get sort of trapped into this idea of thinking the purpose of life is all about pursuing happiness and being happy, then Jesus is pointing us to something quite different. He's, he's saying, look at this flower. Um, and I mean we could be quite offended by this because we're asking him what's the purpose of my life and he's pointing to something very small that you might very well ignore that it's pretty common that sprouts up in many many places around and it's just there for a short time and disappears. So there's, there's definitely a sense of humility here, which we're being compared to a flower. But the other thing going on is he's saying um, that the flower's purpose is to display God's glory in its own small little way. So even though it is small and temporary and seemingly insignificant, it plays a part in this beautiful, uh, larger purpose that God has for us. It's, um, so let me just go back to this. Yeah, so he's saying, not even Solomon in all his splendor, you know, it's about majesty. The flower has some sort of sense of uh, expressing God's glory about it. And so that's what, that's what I think he's pointing us to. He's saying the flower's purpose is to, like us, express something of God's glory. That's what we're made for. And it's not, um, it's not all happy. You know, 
that can sound like, um, yeah, I, I guess I guess something kind of worth saying is displaying God's glory is not always easy. And we've heard so many pictures this morning about um, being open to how God is shaping us. The other thing that the uh, the flower does is it it grows. And it grows without knowing what it's going to become. And I think that's part of what Jesus is saying here, is he's saying um, we need to be like the flower. And if we can be as brave as the flower in the way that we grow and trust that God is gonna has a, has a beautiful plan for how we're going to unfold, um, then we will be an instrument of his glory and majesty. And we will look like him. And I tell you, when this has happened in my life, it is the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done. To know that you're being used somehow for God's purposes and not your own. So this is the, the third thing that I want to pick up on. I feel like so much of what we, we've been sharing about this morning is about surrender. And obviously surrender is not, not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to think about. And it's not a happy message, really, is it? It's very sobering to say surrender to God, who is almighty. Now let's have some tea and cake. <laughs> you know, It's heavy. But the flower is surrendered um, the flower grows accepts where it's been planted and grows where God wants it to grow and I think Jesus is calling us to surrender to God he's saying that there is a joy in surrender um, but it's not always happy but he's saying yeah this is what we need to do we need to surrender our plans and agendas for bigger plans and agendas he says this in so many different ways. He also says this in a different way later on. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and the rest will be given to you. I think um, that's basically saying the same thing, isn't it? Surrender your own plans and agendas and seek out God's plans and agendas. What matters to him? What is really true and good outside of yourself? Something that's bigger than yourself. So, yeah. So it might sound like a heavy message, but if you're if you're on the treadmill and you, you don't know where else to go, this is a lifeline. <laughs> Trading in for something higher. It takes bravery, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And I think I just want to thank Jesus for being such a master teacher. Every, every time, if there's anything we need to know, he can point us to what we need to do. He's so much more, but we often forget that he's um, a master teacher. So, I, I don't know, there's quite a few things we could do now, but I feel like I thought in light of all this, we could spend some time just praying, really. Maybe some a short time of quiet, like 
few minutes or something, just reflecting on um, on this. So one way you could put this is is that we find ourselves saying this to ourselves and believing it. And often that thing is, is nothing to do with God. So if I just insert here, uh, get that next house or um, learn how to do that, that specific thing or if I just was a bit healthier, uh, then I'd be happy. If I just this, then I'll be happy. And these things are no good for us. And I think these things are the things that are worth surrendering to God. So let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for this life that we live. Thank you for everything you give us. Thank you for speaking to us this morning and sharing pictures throughout the worship, sharing with us that you have a heart that's full of love for us uh, and that you have great plans and desires for us. Yeah, I thank you that you, yeah, you are looking out for us, that you want us to grow with you. I just pray that as we take some time now to reflect, that you would, if there's something that we need to let go of and surrender to you, that you would bring it up in our hearts, that it would be become, just, just churn up in our feet. So would you speak to us now, Lord, about what you would like us to do and give us a vision for how you'd like us to grow. Amen. If we just stay as we are for maybe two minutes or so, just reflecting, then I can lead us in a, a prayer, or you can lead yourself in a prayer of repentance, really, saying to God, I think, I'm sorry for believing in this thing. I want to know wh what you have that's better for me. Help me to trust in you and surrender to your plans.